Well, welcome back to the next exciting episode of the uh, Camden Haven Anglican Church Bible Study Podcast. It's good to be with you in this way and have a chance to be a part of your leadership of your group and pray that it's going well. Before I start, are you coming to the camp? Um, If you can ask your group, if they are intending to but haven't replied yet, tell them to hurry uh, and make Travis's life really tricky as he tries to fit everyone in. Uh, So we want as many people to be there as possible, but we are limited. So um, anyway, do your best there. Now, this is a large section, and so try not to get sidetracked until you've been uh, through it all. Uh, So instead of reading the whole thing first and then going through it, better to read it as you go through. Um, That's my suggestion. You can decide how to go forward if you want differently. The question, question one. What happens in the half hour of silence in chapter 8 verses 1 to 4? Well, it's pretty straightforward there. The seven angels are given seven trumpets and another angel who has a golden censer came and stands at the altar and he's given much incense to offer. Next question, what is the golden censer? Well, it says that it's incense, but it is also holding the prayers of God's people. And as the incense goes up, so too does the prayers from the people of God uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to God. Uh, these prayers are prayers in general, but specifically, I think they are the prayers of the saints under the altar in chapter 5, verse 8. And if you had a look back at that, you would hear them. Uh, I'm just looking at it in my Bible. Yeah, and uh, and when, they, when, they, when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down each before the Lamb, each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then if you go across to chapter 6 and verse 10, you'll find that they are saints are calling out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So that's the prayer that's going up. So I think it is prayer in general, but it's particularly prayer of the saints who have been killed praying for avenging of their blood, putting things right, bringing righteousness. Next question, what does the angel hurl onto earth? Well, the angel takes the censer and fills it with fire and hurls it on the earth, and this fire is directly connected to the prayers of the saints. So the um, there is a connection between prayer and the trumpets that follow. And this fire is unpacked by a description of these seven trumpets that are following. And so in some sense, this is the wrath of God being revealed uh, before the great day of judgment. So something like in Romans chapter 1, you'll find that the wrath of God is being revealed. You can check that up as well. Next question, what regions do trumpets 1 to 4 affect? And that's verses 6 to 12. Well, trumpet 1 affects the land, trumpet 2, the sea, trumpet 3, the rivers, trumpet 4, the firmament or the sky. Next question, how are trumpets 5 to 7 introduced? Well, they're introduced as three woes. 
And in some level, you know, if you think that what preceded was bad, it's going to get worse. And we find that the first woe is trumpet number five. The next question, how are the locusts described and what are they called to do? This is in chapter 9, verses 1 to 11. Well, how are they described? Well, verse 7 describes them. They, they look like horses prepared for battle, and their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth was like lion's teeth. Their breastplates were like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. Uh, they've got tails with stingers, like scorpions, and they have the power to torment people for five months, and their king is Abaddon, now, uh, which means destroyer, or Apollyon. So that's what they look like. What are they called to do? Well, they're called to not harm the earth, but they are called to torment those who do not have the mark of God uh, the seal upon them that we heard about in chapter 7. They were Verse 5, they were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. So that's how they're described and what they're called to do. The next question, what locusts can you remember from the Old Testament? Uh, now, give people a chance to have a think about this for a while, because if they can't think of any, they eventually they'll get it. The obvious one is Exodus chapter 10, the judgments on Egypt. A less obvious one is the Deuteronomy 28, 38, when God is saying to the people, if they're unfaithful, then they will be judged, and part of the judgment is locusts. And in an agricultural society, locusts are a real judgment because it, do, it takes away your livelihood. In Judges 6 is another reference to people or enemies as swarms of locusts, and that was the Midianites were described as that. And you'll also find in Joel chapter 2 and Amos chapter 4, locusts are described as a judgment on Israel from God. Next question, how are the horses and riders described and what are they called to do? Well, it's there, they're described in verse 17, all sorts of uh, horrible things, sulphur and smoke and all things coming out of them. Uh, they are they are a unusual picture. Uh, there's really I can't find anything exactly coordinate compared to the locusts in the Old Testament. There are certainly horses and riders thrown into the sea and things like that in the Old Testament. I think the next question is who is in charge of these horsemen? And uh, this is something I'm thinking about as well, so take this with a grain of salt. Um, angels, uh, at the beginning of the passage, it talks about these four angels which are uh, holding back the river Euphrates or something like that. And um, I'm just looking at it. Yes, in verse 14. And so it's these four angels that seem to be in charge of the horsemen. In apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament, particularly in Daniel, you'll find that angels are in charge of nations. And so here it might be nations coming against the people of God. I'm not exactly sure, 
I'm still working on it. We'll see what happens on Sunday. But um, it's at least something for us to begin to think about. The next question. What is expected but surprisingly not experienced in in verses 20 to 21? Uh, That's of chapter 9. I better put that in, Ben. I'll just put a number 9 there, so make sure that happens. 9 verses 20 to 21. There we go. Uh, the, the, the surprising thing is that the rest of mankind, who were not killed by the plagues, that is from the horsemen, still did not repent and kept worshipping demons, etc. They, they just did not repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. Uh, that's just the surprising thing is that even in the midst of all of this, they continue to ignore God and want to reject him. Next question. Read chapter 10, 1 to 4. Why do you think John would write about hearing seven thunders only to say he couldn't write down what they said? Uh, again, I'm not sure. I'm trying to work on this as well. It could be a way of saying something like in the Old Testament where I think it's Moses who says the secret things belong to the Lord or the revealed things belong to us, but the secret things belong to the Lord. It may have something to do with that because it sounds similar. Or it could just possibly be a way of saying What's being revealed is not everything, and there are things that we don't know and are not being told. So that might be all that is going uh, on about. The next question, what will the seventh trumpet see accomplished? Again, this is fascinating to me. Verse 7 says, But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Now, The interesting thing to me is that the mystery of God announced by servants, the prophets, is accomplished already in Jesus. He fulfills it. He fulfills it. And even in um, Ephesians, it'll talk about the mystery of God being that the Jews and Gentiles are made one in Jesus. So uh, is the mystery of God in Revelation different? I'm not sure. How is it more accomplished than it already is uh, when the uh, seventh trumpet is sounded. Something to think about and chew on. So uh, keep on thinking through that one for sure. Uh, The next question is, what is John being called to do in chapter 10, verse 8, through to chapter 11, verse 2? So John is given a scroll, a tiny scroll, and he's told to eat it, and it's Sweet to his lips, but bitter when it hits his stomach. So it's a bitter, sweet message. And this is recalling Ezekiel chapter 3, where Ezekiel has to do exactly the same thing. But here John is called to be a prophet, to continue to prophesy, uh, to continue to say things to many nations and um, tribes and peoples. Uh, So... Prophecy is what he's being called to do, but he's also being called to measure the temple. And the measuring of the temple in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, seems to be primarily a separation. So there is a exclusion going on of the outer court, as you can see in verse 2. But the measuring of the temple does remind us of... Ezekiel chapter 40 and following of a new temple that's built. Ezekiel measures the temple there as well. But we know that that temple 
that Ezekiel is talking about is the temple that Jesus is building of people, not a new building one day to be built in Israel, but a building now uh, with you and I are uh, living stones. So, uh, you know, Revelation's tricky, so that that could be where it is, but is at least he's being called to prophesy. Now, one tricky thing to follow, another one, what is the key role of the two characters in chapter 11? Now, particularly look at verses 3 and 7. It talks about they are to prophesy, to witness, to testify. Uh, so they are to do the same as we've heard that John has just been called to do. And so there's got to be some connection here with John and with these two characters in chapter 11. They are also, these two characters are also called olive, two olive trees and they're called two lampstands. And those ideas are in Zechariah and worth following up, chapter 4. And uh, olive trees, a sense of olive oil, which are filled with the Spirit, the oil of the Spirit, that sort of thing. And so these are Spirit-filled, but they're lampstands. And we're also, we've already been told that the lampstands are the churches, but that was the seven lampstands. These are only two lampstands. Some have thought that maybe this refers to the only two churches that receive only con commendation and no condemnation. I'm not sure about that, but at least there is this idea of referring to the church, uh, but the church pictured in a most incredible way. Verses 5 and 6, when speaking about these two characters, talk about them in terms of being like Elijah and Moses. They're able to shut up the sky and to turn waters to blood, which is Elijah stuff and Moses stuff. And when we think of Elijah and Moses, we think of the law and the prophets. So we think of witnesses who have the law and the prophets, the fulfillment of them, which is Jesus, and they're proclaiming this fulfillment. So it would seem to me that the the two characters in chapter 11 represent the church. But others think differently, so it's worth just taking into consideration all of those factors and work out where we're at. The next question. What happens when they finish their testimony? What does their experience remind you of? Well, when they finish their testimony, they're attacked and killed, uh, but they're raised three and a half days later. And uh, what does this remind you of? Well, hopefully it reminds you of Jesus. Uh, it sort of does. He's killed He's raised on the third day. It's not three and a half days later, but it's on the third day. So there's some allusion and similarity to it. Uh, the three and a half days reminds us of a times, times and half a time or 1260 days or 42 months or three and a half years. All this sort of same uh, numbering is going on. So, um, uh, yep, keep that in mind. It's... Uh, what is going on there as they finish their testimony. They are treated like Jesus, but like Jesus, they rise and they, everyone thinks, oh, heck, what have we done? Um, they are then called in verse 12 to come up here and we find a similar thing happening in chapter 12, which we'll see next week. And they go up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies look on. Um, yeah, well tricky stuff, isn't it? I think it's the church. And I think John is telling us something in a way we've never seen it before about ourselves. 
that we need to grapple with. And, and I'll be wrestling with it a bit more this week. Believe you me, God willing. Next question, who do you think these two characters might represent? Well, I've already said it. Lampstands, like the churches. Spirit-filled, like the church. Witnesses, like the church. Who could it be? I think it's the church. <laughs> Next question, why? who are judged and why? And who are rewarded and why? Well, verse, chapter 11, verse 15 says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, the that is what has been looked forward to for the whole of the Old Testament. The here now is the promise of the son of David being king of the world has been accomplished. So we know that that is true today, but it is true by faith. Uh, it will be true by sight on that great judgment day. Uh, who is judged and who is rewarded? Well, the ones who are judged, uh, it's interesting, the, those who are destroyed are those who destroy the earth. That's one. Uh, those who are judged are those who are angry at the Lord. And so there is a real sense of Psalm chapter 2 there. Uh, those that are rewarded are the prophets and the people who revere God's name. So um, they believe the prophets, the law and the prophets, and they revere the name of God because they believe the prophets. Uh, so there you go. There is this one. Uh, this is a tricky one. It's a big passage. Keep moving through it. Where you aren't sure of things, just note it down and we'll try to deal with it on Sunday. Uh, if not, there are just things that we haven't worked out and maybe that's okay. We'll keep giving it a go though. Well, there you go for the study on Revelation chapters 8 to 11 tonight. And remember, you've got your Revelation interrogation questions. Start with those. They're easy questions relatively easy answers and hopefully that will encourage everyone to uh, keep getting into it. All right, see ya.